Hello and welcome back to another exciting day here on planet Earth. And you are listening to Love, Life, and Legacy, a podcast designed specifically to help you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. And on today's episode, I'm interviewing a young lady named Mai Thurston, who is, she's been a big part of High Noon for years now. She's been a content consumer and she's gone through our programs, but she's also now a creator. She's a co-creator. She's a part of our High Noon world. She's the rep for women and basically she's just all around awesome. And this is her journey. We haven't had so many testimonies from young ladies. What is it like to be a young lady in this world trying to create sexual integrity in a pornified culture, in a hypersexualized culture? And so it's a really cool conversation. I really recommend if you're a woman, absolutely listen to this entire thing. If you're a man, also absolutely listen to this entire thing. And here's why. We need to understand what women are going through. They have a very unique challenge. It's very different from the struggle of men. Sometimes it manifests in similar ways, but it impacts women differently because they're wired differently. And so this episode is a real, it was an eye opener for me. And every time I hear her speak, it's always enlightening. And I hope it is for you as well. So please take notes about what it's like to be a woman trying to create sexual integrity in this society that is largely objectifying of women and how she's coping with all this and not only with her own sexual integrity but how she uses any progress that she makes to help other people make progress in their own lives and in their own journey so enjoy this episode and i will talk to you on the other side hello everybody and welcome back to love life and legacy a podcast that helps you navigate through these hyper-sexualized times of ours. And uh, I just want to say, you know, this caller and I, the person that I'm about to talk with here, have just been through hell and back, and now we're resurrected, technically. And <laughs> she's a champion. She's endured a lot of technical difficulties. Always there's some dark force trying to prevent God from working. So... We've pierced the veil and we're on the other side of that. Um, but today we have uh, an interview with a really cool person that has been there really since the inception of High Noon. She was at the very first High Noon Summit, I remember. She came with a shaved side of her head. She looked super oh hip. I, remember I that. still have that kind of. It's going <laughs> right now, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted so your introduction. Still cool. No problem. <laughs> And she has helped in many capacities. She started out as a consumer of her content and a consumer of, you know, the resources that we were churning out as a participant. And then she's evolved herself into somebody who now gives aid to others, who helps other women. And in fact, she's the rep for our women's division for High Noon, for, for the Ascend program, and for basically when women reach out to us, we send them all to my Thurston. I almost said <laughs> your name without, I got to say it big because that's part of the introduction. My <laughs> Thurston. And uh, she is in San Diego now. She's super yes. smart. She's a really good singer. She's mm. a lifelong student. She's probably going to be in college for the next 40 to 50 years. 
and Let's she's she does acapella <laughs> extraordinaire. Um, but most importantly, she's um, she's the type of person that can recognize the opportunity for growth, and she seizes that opportunity time and again. And because of that, she's a true high noon warrior and advocate. So please welcome my Thurston to the podcast. Welcome, my. Thanks, Andrew. That was a really nice, really nice introduction. I appreciate that. Thank you. I try not to write them down so they're actually sincere instead of a bunch yeah, of Yeah, I felt it. <laughs> and, and you're not a doctor. When, later when you're like 45 and you have all these titles uh, that I need to list off, then, then I'll write it down. But for now, it's just you're my sister, you're my friend, and I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you. Where are you? You're you're living in Southern California. Where exactly are you? As you said earlier, I'm in San Diego right now. Um, I will, well, right now with this global pandemic, um, well, the plan is to move to Los Angeles in the fall because I'll be starting graduate school there for my master's in marriage and family therapy. Um, but who knows if schools will physically reopen by then everything's up in the air right now. Um, but just generally I'm in Southern California. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at right now. And I guess like what I have in my near future. Are you, are you allowed to go to the beach in San Diego right now? Or will they arrest you and throw you in a little cardboard box? (laughs) No, um, yeah, people are allowed to go to the beach. I haven't gone myself, but I've I have talked to people who have, and they say it's like a little ridiculous. It's like very overcrowded, and people aren't really following social distancing, which is problematic. But um, yeah, it's they're open as long as you don't linger in one area for a long time. You have to be doing something active, like walking, jogging. I think you're allowed to surf and stuff. But um, yeah, the beaches are open, but under just yeah restrictions for good reason i guess but yeah what that's that's a that's a really cute and and peculiar rule that you you can't be lurking you can't be you can't be creeping around the beach you got to be moving but what happens my in the instance where you just want to do something stationary like jumping jacks where technically you're moving but also technically you're staying in the same place. How does Honestly, that I don't know. I mean, I think as long as you're not staying in one place for too long, like it's probably fine to stop and do jumping jacks for a bit, but as long as you you keep moving, I think the problem is they don't want to encourage um, just like creating the conditions for people to congregate. That's probably the reason yeah. behind that. Um but yeah, you're not allowed to bring your cooler or anything that's going to kind of lead to just people crowding um, and just staying in one place for too long. So basically so. nothing that encourages enjoyment, too much enjoyment or <laughs> or fulfillment or connection. <laughs> um, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's great that now the beaches are open for people to... Like it's just another place where people can be outdoors and get fresh air and be active. Um, so that's good news, I think. And so do you, just just context, do you remember the first time you heard about High Noon or like, well, how did you, how did you come into our world? How did, how did that happen? How did our yeah. worlds collide? 
I remember. So um, in my third year of college, I opened up to my best friend for the first time about like my sexual integrity journey and my struggle really. Um, at that point, it was more of just like a struggle that I had for many years. And um, she actually told me about you and like your ministry that you had going on in Maryland at the time. Um, I think she'd, she'd attended one of your talks and um, she said that there was something being planned. Um, and then I connected with you. I think I reached out to you on Messenger on Facebook. And then we like did a video call. And then you told me about the summit. Or, or maybe I'd heard about it. I don't know. Maybe I'm skipping some things. Because I remember you came to LA <laughs> also. You were like on tour uh, yeah, yeah. talking about, um, yeah, like porn, sexual integrity, and just like opening up the conversation. Um, so I did go to your talk and then I'm not sure if we had video called at some point before or after that, it's all kind of blending together as just kind of one time period. But, um, yeah, I asked you during our video call, um, is this, I had, I had a commitment. It was like kind of a big deal. It was like a, um, like a charity, like is a 26 hour event, um, for a cause that was really important to, my friend and also me, but, um, I, the weekend that the summit was supposed to happen, I already had something planned that I kind of committed to in advance. So I was wondering like, is there going to be another one? Like, can I catch the next one? And you said there isn't going to be another one like this one. Um, and I said, is this something I should drop everything to and go? And he's like, yeah, do it. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, cause I really, felt that I needed to be there, that this, I really felt that that was, that event was something, um, that would, I don't, I don't know if I thought it would change my life, but I just thought that it's really important for me to go. I just felt that, um, that pull and I talked to my friend and worked things out. I was able to, I guess, like back out of that commitment. Um, so I essentially did drop everything and go, and I'm so glad that I did. And it actually did change my life. So, yeah, that Damn. was kind of where it all started. <laughs> That's baller. So that was, I just want to say, that was really crazy because it was one of those scenarios when, you know, our community, the people that we know, there's like a, a billion workshops, always a yeah. workshop somewhere, somehow about something. And yet mm-hmm. this particular workshop, seemed to be like the Pied Piper and people were just coming from all over and, and doing exactly that, dropping what they were doing. And I think, so I don't know why people did it. I mean, why <laughs> they did that. And like, uh, like you gave up, you potentially could have damaged the friendship, but you showed up and there's just this calling. And I think that was the pre-qualification for what ensued because the information was there, but information can be communicated in many different ways and have many different effects, mm-hmm. but it was a profound weekend. And I think oh, yeah. part of it was because people like you just uh, put a lot of your hopes and expectations uh, into it and, and you came ready to learn, you know? So that was a, so what in particular do you feel like changed? Uh, was it a perspective shift? 
Did you something internally that you felt, wait, I, I, I'm better than what my present circumstances are? Or like, was it, was it a feeling thing or a thinking thing or what, what changed in you? Um, okay. So at that point in my life, I had kind of done a lot of, um, work on myself in terms of my sexual integrity and I had found success. Um, it all started when I opened up with my friend, uh, or opened up to my friend. And then, so that was like sometime in my third year. And then in the middle of the year, like over winter break, I decided, I, I mean, I prayed about it and also I just decided that it was time to, um, talk to my parents about it. And it was something that, uh, we're kind of like skipping around in like my story, but um, I had opened up to my parents my freshman year of high school um, about, uh, so my main struggle has been masturbation. Um, not so much pornography, although it is something that I was exposed to um, before I discovered masturbation um, and it's something that I kind of like dabbled in different ways over the years. But my main, I guess, struggle was masturbation or I guess still is in a way, but, um, yeah, I had kind of, I opened up to them and then it was really difficult to stay honest with them. So I just decided I'd figured out on my own. And then like seven years later was still very much struggling with it. I found some level of success, but just, it wasn't enough, um, to completely quit. And then I, realized I just needed to open up to my parents again. So I kind of made them my accountability partners in a way. Um, and it was just like calling once a week and just like sharing my status update um, and just like talking about what it was going on in my life. And for whatever reason, that was working really well. Um, and so then I heard about High Noon and I thought like, this is a really relevant thing in my life. And I had heard your talks. And when I went there, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect, but I was really excited about it. Just the thought of being in a space where people are openly talking about sex and porn and everything surrounding that topic was really exciting because in our faith community, it's so taboo. Um, it's just not talked about enough. And it's just one of those topics that gets swept under the rug or like talked about really kind of quickly. Um, and so I was really excited about that. And then when I went, um, I'd already heard a lot of the things because you mentioned them in your talks, but there was more detail and other speakers from different faiths and backgrounds came and talked about their areas of expertise under this big like umbrella topic. And um, then the thing that really inspired me during the summit was uh, for the first time ever, I heard a testimony from a woman who struggles. Um, she had come a long way, but was still like in the middle of her struggle. Like she wasn't quite speaking from a place of like total victory. Um, and to me, that was really inspiring. Um, Cause I think in many cases when people give testimonies about difficulties that they've faced. It's always from a place of victory where it's kind of like a, not like I've been there, done that, but kind of like I'm past this and this is behind me kind of a thing. But for her, it was something that she was still in the midst of and working through. Um, and she was acknowledging the progress that she'd made and all the progress that she was striving to make. And that to me made me feel like, wow, I 
really want to be in a position where I can be that kind of person and inspire someone the way that she inspired me. Um, and just like being surrounded by people who are willing to talk openly about these difficult things, um, was, there was just something so special, um, and exciting and refreshing about it. Well, I would say that that's happening exactly right now (laughs) on a larger scale because you're, you're opening up this conversation on our podcast, which is really, really cool. I'd like to kind of dig deep into your formative years because this is, you know, I want us to understand this. First of all, I'm very much a dude. And so, <laughs> you know, we, we dudes know what dudes do because dudes talk to dudes about this stuff, but we don't always know what mm. the female spectrum is, is contending with. Um, but for you, you grew up and you, you had, like you said, you were dealing with problematic masturbation, right? But you're also dealing mm. with it in a world that doesn't necessarily view masturbation to be a bad thing um, in many cases, right? What they're teaching in mm. school, what you would see mostly on the internet, um, Netflix. What I mean, I just found a bunch of stuff on Netflix that is pretty pretty insane. So why, why did you think it was a problem? And then like, how did you work through all the various emotions of having something that is confusing and conflicting and 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 very personal and you know how how did you kind of sort through this what at what age did you start and then how did you work through this in your formative years how did you navigate these difficult feelings and emotions yeah um i guess i want to start with um i guess my exposure to pornography and i guess the difference with uh between my relationship with pornography and then masturbation Um, so with pornography, it was something that I was exposed to when I was like 10. Uh, I just, for some reason, I remember being in fourth grade, just, I don't know if that's actually accurate, but, um, yeah, it was before I knew anything about the female reproductive system or any of that. Um, but these friends, um, in my, then in my apartment complex, it was a really, uh, just bad neighborhood. Um, anyway, they showed me porn like this girl found uh like these vhs tapes in her uncle's suitcase and they showed me like porn and um it was like hardcore pornography it wasn't even like one man one woman it was just other stuff and um that was like my first exposure to that and just they said that's what sex is and that's how you make babies and i just like it was all of so much of it went over my head and i was like shocked and disgusted um but at the same time like really curious um intrigued and also like kind of excited by it um and to me that was an experience that I felt I didn't really have like I didn't have any control over that um it just happened to me um and thankfully like I didn't really have access to pornography after that point until much later but um I want to say like a couple years later, maybe a year or two. I'm not sure exactly how old I was, but um, I believe I was like transitioning into middle school. So I was like 11, 12. Um, I just discovered masturbation completely by accident, um, just completely by accident. And I, it was just like a, this new sensation that was weird, but also exciting. Um, and 
in the beginning, it was just like me exploring my body and just that curiosity playing out, um, which is like normal and natural, but I, I didn't really know that. And, um, yeah, in the beginning, it was very much just like a curiosity, um, and excitement because it was just new. Um, and then at some point I kind of, also I was like going through puberty at that time. So at some point I introduced like my own thoughts, like my own fantasies. Um, and then it became associated with like, just, I, I, I made it like a romantic thing. Um, but it was all just like me experiencing this by myself. Um, and it was something that I just like came from me. Uh, at least that's what it felt like. And, um, with porn, it was really clear that that's like, that's bad. But then with masturbation, it was really unclear. I didn't really understand why it was bad. Like it wasn't anything that anyone ever talked about. I actually didn't even know that it was called masturbation until high school when I looked it up because I wasn't sure what I was doing. I just knew that, I don't know, at some point I felt like really guilty about it. Um, like I felt like no one else was, this was something else that no one else did. Um, and especially like growing up in this faith community where purity is of utmost importance and it's, we just have a really high standard for that. Um, I felt deep down that there was something wrong with what I was doing. And especially when I realized that it wasn't something that I would ever feel comfortable talking about with my friends or especially to my parents. Um, when it was, when I identified it as something that I would kind of like a secret I would carry with me to the grave, that's when I knew that there was something wrong. Um, and that's when I started feeling like really deep shame. Um, and Wait, so can I just stop you there and ask, so yeah. up until, up until that epiphany that, that you realized if you wanted to carry this secret to your grave, that it was a bad thing. Up until that point, you, you it it wasn't a big deal. It was just like a thing that you just kind of did, and it's and you not really that it thinking. wasn't. You weren't really conscious, conscious. Yeah, I don't know. It just it, it's not that it wasn't a big deal, um, but it was just something that I would do secretly, and for whatever reason, though, I'm not sure if like maybe these things kind of happened in the same, around the same time. I don't know what came first, but, um, I would feel this just like guilt. Um, like, I don't know. It was just this unexplainable feeling that what I was doing was wrong, even though I didn't even know what I was doing. And I, I just, it just felt dirty, I think. Um, because it involved like my sexual organ. So I, I don't know. I just, um, yeah, it's hard to explain, but I did, sure. I did feel guilt, um, and shame. And I think it was also because it wasn't something that I felt I could control. Um, it was, it became compulsive at a certain point for sure. Um, I remember not being able to fall asleep for a period of time without masturbating and, uh, it was something that I kind of tried to stop, but then when I realized that I couldn't stop, I think that's when it started to feel like something's wrong um, because it became like a compulsive thing or something that I was becoming dependent on. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers okay. your question. Yeah, yeah. And so then after that, uh, you had a lot of shame 
because mm-hmm. you intuitively felt like it was it was inherently wrong, but you're doing it, and then you couldn't break this habit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, how long did that go on for? Yeah. So throughout middle school, and then like freshman year of high school was when I started hearing things about like oral. I was very just like. I guess oblivious is the word. Like, I didn't really know. I wasn't in the know about these things. So um, I'd hear stuff like oral sex and different kinds of sex. So I wasn't sure, like, if it was all kind of the same or different names for the same thing or what. Um, so I, like, Googled around and um, then I identified, oh, so what I'm doing is masturbation and it's not sex. Because part of me was like, oh, my gosh, what if I'm having some kind of sex and like sex just is immediately linked to like the fall and like, um, yeah, like it just sex is bad kind of a thing. And, um, but I knew like, well, it's bad if it's like with another person, but since it's just me, like I'm not, it's not hurting anyone. It's not affecting anyone. Um, is it like, why is it so bad or I don't know. Um, but I, I looked it up because I wanted to know what to call it, I guess. Um, and so I identified it. Oh, it's masturbation. And then oral sex is not actual like penetration. And it's like, you know, it's different, um, but it's all very, it's all sexual and like involves like naked people, <laughs> clearly, or, you know? So um, yeah, so I looked it up and actually around that time, I, so I hadn't watched porn like up until that point. So it was just, I was introduced to porn and then I discovered masturbation. And then like, that was the thing that I did secretly, like my guilty pleasure. And then I, in high school, had my own room and like had a computer in my room. Um, and I was like finding the next episode to this anime I was watching. And then I just stumbled on pornography and I just like, I knew what it was, I think, um, but I was curious and curiosity got the best of me. And I totally could have just stopped when I like fully realized what it was, um, but I didn't. I like watched the whole thing and it was like someone's wedding porn. Um, and I remember like justifying it in my mind, like, oh, it's uh, like it's someone's, like it's a husband and wife, so it's like it's okay. Um, and I don't know, like it was better than other stuff. And I remember justifying that. And then when I was done watching, I just felt the sense of dread, like, wow, I really crossed the line. Because up until that point, porn was something that was introduced to me. It wasn't something that I ever sought out or did of my own volition. Um, And all of a sudden it became that. And I kind of made a connection. I realized that like, if I kind of continued doing that, then whatever relationship I had to masturbation, that dependency that I, I kind of, I knew that that's what porn would become for me. And that really scared me. Um, Cause in my mind, like masturbation was kind of a gray area, but porn was very clearly like not good. So um, that scared me. And um, I guess in just, I had a really strong, I guess like guilty conscience. And I just felt so strongly that I needed to tell my parents. Um, And I like worked up the courage and like made a plan, not really like a well thought out plan, but I just said, I'm going to pull my mom aside and tell her that I need to talk to her. Um, And 
than I did. And it all kind of, I got to that point because I felt that when I'd watch porn, I'd really cross the line. And so I sought her out, sat her down and just like told her everything. Um, and there are other things in my story that I like kind of conveniently skipped over. Um, and I, and so, I mean, I don't want to like be secretive or anything, but it involves like, um, sort of like sexual assault. Um, it wasn't like anything death, like super serious or like violent. Um, I guess just really quickly, um, the same friend that had shown me porn, um, every now and then we'd like, she would describe these sexual scenarios and we'd like enact them. Like we'd be fully clothed and everything, but we'd like kind of like dirty dancing and like, I don't know, just like kids trying to do adult things, but not really doing adult things. And, um, so like we would do that and I didn't really understand what it was or what was going on, but it was fun to me. So I just went along with it. Um, and then at one point, one time she like involved her younger brother. And to me, I was like, I really did not want to do it, but she insisted, um, and said to just do it anyway. So I just kind of like let him pretend to like, like, I don't know, like make out or like have sex with me or whatever, but it wasn't actual, I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to be like too graphic, but basically he was just like writhing on top of me and I was just lying still and being really uncomfortable with it. Um, and I just kind of like, it happened and I just like forgot about it and didn't forget about it, but I just pretended that it didn't happen. Um, and it was just something that I just never talked about, but that happened. And those were things that I would do with my friends or quote unquote friends. Um, and so like, that's all a part of my past, but, um, I told my mom all of those things and it all started because I really felt that I was starting to. I don't know, cross the line. I didn't want to go beyond the point of no return. Um, or I knew that like, if I kept things a secret that it would just get worse. And that really scared yeah. me. So, um, I opened up my mom about everything, told her everything. Um, didn't describe masturbation. I just said masturbation and my mom's Japanese. So I wasn't sure if she'd fully understand, uh, sorry, understand everything, but, to my surprise, I said masturbation and she just shook her head and then like, she just understood. Um, and that experience actually was up until that point in my life was the most profound, like deep experience ever. Just cause I mean, up until that point, my relationship with my mom was just kind of like, she would lecture me and nag at me for this and that. And I just, I felt that maybe she'd be disappointed or she'd like, start telling me that like I was, you know, bad or wrong. Um, but she was the way that she reacted or just didn't react actually was just the best case scenario. She just sat there and listened and, um, just took everything in and let me kind of stumble through my, um, I guess testimony or story. And just, um, there was a lot of crying and just like me taking long pauses to figure out how to say things, but she just patiently listened through um, and didn't like say anything. She just listened and nodded um, and just like, like took everything in. Um, and at the end of it, she just actually, she apologized because she felt that it was reflective of her 
Like she felt like she failed me um, in a way, which was a little sad, but also to me showed me like that was my first experience of unconditional love. Um, And of course, like it was just, I remember at the end of it, I felt like this huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders and not just like in a metaphorical way, but like in a very physical way, I felt lighter. Um, And I guess it's spiritual too. I just felt so much lighter and I felt like there was hope. Um, And I felt really, truly unconditionally loved. Um, We'd like talk about it a lot at church and like God's love is unconditional, but I, up until that point, I had never truly experienced that, like showing someone the ugliest side of myself, the part of myself that I never wanted to share with anyone. Um, and then, be, you know, with all of that still being loved and accepted and um, not judged. So that was like, for me, like the very beginning, I guess, of my sexual integrity journey. Um And that's kind of where it all started for me, like actively working or at least doing my best to overcome this habit that I developed. Wow, that's a lot. And so what then did you do? Like, where do you go from there? Um, You gathered up all this courage, which is a heroic feat and something we definitely recommend to everybody. Because most people think just the way that you thought that you would get a nagging, you know, unfeeling, judgmental reaction from your parent. Um, But instead you got a warm shoulder to cry on and understanding and sympathy. Um, Mm -hmm. So what, what happened after that? You have this profound experience and then, and then you all lived happily ever after. Is that how it (laughs) worked? If only. Um, Yeah. So, my mom, so what ended up happening, the decision that I guess my parents and I made was to talk to my pastor about it, to kind of offer it up through, um, like as we call a central figure, just like uh, an authority figure um, in the eyes of God. And so, um, yeah, my I didn't actually tell my dad. My mom did that for me. She didn't really go into detail because I, I remember when the three of us went to my pastor and I kind of gave a summary of what I told my mom. I said things and then my dad was like surprised. (laughs) So clearly my mom didn't give my dad the full story, but, um, yeah, I talked, we, anyway, I talked to my pastor with my parents present and, um, yeah, that experience was actually really important, um, for two reasons. One is he told me that first of all, like what you're going through is really normal And like, it's, you know, it's really normal to have these urges and like, you know, it's, it's good (laughs) that your body is functioning normally and, you know, everything works. And so that's great. Um, But at the end of the day, I guess, uh, that's not a great way to put it, but um, at the core of things, masturbation and, and pornography are, it's, the point that he made was that it's selfish and um, that it's not good for like your future relationship. um, Like when you're married and um, have a family and, but I guess the main problem is that it's 
selfish. And I guess our, our point of view on love is for the sake of the other person. Um, and like love, true love is selfless. And so by, um, self-indulging in these things in this way, um, it's counter to that. And, um, that was important because, well, first of all, sorry, I'm like talking about the first one, but actually I kind of touched on both the points. Um, one was he kind of, he alleviated my sense of shame. Uh, he gave me some statistics and said that like, there is an increasing number of women who are, um, using pornography and dealing with masturbation and all these things. And so it made me, I guess I realized that I'm not the only girl. I'm not the only woman in the world. I wasn't really a woman at the time, but only girl, not the only girl. Um, although I still kind of later on felt like I was maybe the only girl in the church, um, who maybe did this, but, um, yeah. And just him saying that it doesn't make you evil and you're not abnormal. That was really important. Um, cause I, up until that point thought that there was something wrong with me. And then the second thing that really helped was that I didn't really know why it was bad. Um, and I guess that's why it was so confusing. Um, but he gave me a really clear reason for why it's not good. And uh, that was enough for me to be motivated to stop, uh, or at least like in the beginning, it was enough for me to, I just needed a reason, um, to quit, I guess. Uh, so that for those two reasons, that conversation was really important. And yeah, he tried to give me some advice that, um, I understood kind of where he was coming from with the advice, but it just like to me, wasn't really um, practical. It wasn't something that I resonated with or felt that was like truly applicable to me in my specific, I don't know, circumstances or whatever. Um, he recommended like exercising and just like being really tired at the end of the day and being uh, cautious of boredom, which are all great tips. Um, but for me, I was thinking like, well, I'm not going to exercise. Like, I don't want to do that. And um, he also said, like, if you ever get the urge to watch porn, then like, think of like, look up wedding images instead. And like, you know, think about your future um, relationship. And I guess like the point of that advice was to like redirect your thoughts um, and just remind yourself of, guess, like the bigger picture. Um, and, but you know, at the end, like when it, when I'm faced with that situation or if like, if I'm caught up in an urge, then I'm, it's just not that simple. Um, and I didn't really feel that the advice was super, I guess, helpful or yeah, like I said, applicable to me. Um, so it kind of sent like this, uh, not this message, but, um, I just got the feeling, the sense that, um, there weren't really any resources for help in this area. Um, and also at the same time, I was just like, I didn't want to, I think, admit that I needed help. I felt that this was something that I needed to overcome on my own. And um, I I don't know, I just didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to go through the hassle. So there was definitely that feeling um, or like those thoughts that... Um, came with that just, I don't know, feeling that 
whatever the advice was, like wasn't really helpful or whatever. But um, yeah, I I walked away from that conversation with like uh, determination to overcome this thing. Didn't really know how I was going to do that. I just thought I'd will myself to stop or something or I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where the struggle started. And initially I wanted to stay transparent with my parents. Um, and I tried, you know, I like would go through a stretch and then I'd relapse and then I'd feel really guilty. And I felt like I really needed to tell them. And then when I did, I felt like I was disappointing them. Um, I'm not saying that like they showed their disappointment or that they were disappointed in me, but the way that I perceived that like was that I was burdening them with my problem. And like, clearly it was clear that they didn't know what to do to help me. And so it was kind of unproductive for me to just unload my struggle onto them and make them feel sad that I wasn't getting better. Um, and so, or that I wasn't improving. And it also just hurt so much to relapse every time because I felt like I'm not learning from my mistakes. Like I'm just making the same mistakes over and over again. Um, and that just destroyed me and destroyed my sense of worth. Um, and I decided, okay, I'm not going to bother my parents with this. Like they don't need this. Um, I'm going to figure this out on my own. And when I'm overcome this, whenever that happens, then I will tell them and be open with them. But for now, like this isn't something that they need to know about. So I made this goal of being like having a, a year long streak. And then once I can go for a year without masturbating, then to me in my mind, then that's like a vi clear victory. And it's like a clear sign that it's behind me. And then I can talk to my parents about it. But until then, I'm just going to struggle by myself and figure it out. Um, so that's how it was for a very long time, <laughs> like seven years or something like that. Because um, this is freshman year of high school. Um, and then it wasn't until my third year of college that I opened up to my parents again. And yeah, stuff, not that much happened in the middle. It's just kind of cycles of the same thing. Um, just like resisting and trying to resist and then at some point buckling and giving into the urge. And although I did have like stretches of time where, uh, I could go through longer periods, um, but I could never fully shake the habit. I would always come back. Um, and even when I did, like I did GPA, which is a leadership gap year program, um, like a faith-based program. And I thought that doing GPA would be the trick. And like, there's, I thought there's no way while I'm on GPA that I'm going to even have time to think or like be tempted or any of that. Um, I'm going to be really working on myself and doing all these activities and things and challenging myself. Like there's just going to be no space for that. Um, and that's going to fix my problem. And eight months into the program, like towards the end, um, I, anyway, I wanted to do a second year of the program and there was some back and forth. And ultimately, um, I was under the impression that I had a good chance of like being considered for a second year of the program. But, uh, and if, you know, for those who don't know about this program, um, the second year, if you do a second year, then you're kind of in a leadership position leading the first years. Anyway, that was an experience that I really wanted. Um, and I ultimately was 
<laughs> I don't, don't want to use the word rejected, but that's what it felt like. And um, that I struggled with that. And um, it really stressed me out because it was something that I kind of, in my heart, I really wanted. And I thought that that's how I envisioned my life being for the next year. Um, and then all of a sudden I had to come to grips with the fact that that wasn't going to happen. Um, and yeah, I was just really stressed out. I didn't feel supported, um, at the time that I relapsed, but when I did relapse, then I, it hit me like this, the, the, even the environment, like that's not going to be enough to stop. Um, and I didn't dwell on it too much, but that is a really important lesson that I learned that I couldn't, I can't rely on the environment to get me through that, or I don't know, to like prevent me from acting out. So, um, yeah, that happened. And that was actually my longest stretch for a really long time. And then I went through college and then I like had a bunch of cycles of relapsing and then being strong for a while and so on. Um, and then I finally like, but I had, I, my best friend that I mentioned earlier, um, at the beginning of this podcast, um, we did GPA together and we stayed in touch even though like she's on the East coast and I'm on the West coast, we talked pretty regularly over the phone. Um, and she was just like my rock. And the one person that I finally felt like I could be honest with about anything. Um, and she was the person I chose to open up to about this. Um, and up until that point, I don't like only told my parents and I told a few like older sister figures in my life, certain things, but not the whole truth not nearly as much as um, I'd actually experienced. And I just selectively tell certain things, but not the full truth. And I finally opened up to her about it. And then again, it was kind of like a second version of what I had experienced with my mom. Um, and I, I felt, again, unconditionally loved by my friend. And she encouraged me and said, like, it's actually really amazing that you have committed and stuck with your goals and your persistence is something that you should be really proud of. And I'd never looked at it that way because in my eyes, I was just focused on the failure and the fact that I couldn't get over it. And I didn't realize that like my persistence or that the fact that I hadn't given up was something to be proud of. Um, but hearing that coming from her and she's someone who I really admire um, and just, I look up to and hearing that coming from her meant so much. Um, and that gave me the confidence to start, um, talking about it actually. So I talked about it at camps. Um, I started small with like my leadership workshop groups. Um, we do these like little preparatory workshops as the leadership staff, and then we'd have the actual camp. Um, but I started opening up in that setting. And then with my groups went like during these deep talk activities where we'd share and be really vulnerable. And so I talk about it. Um, and the, I found that the more that I shared about it, the more that I talked about it, the more empowered I felt. Cause I felt, I think one thing that I learned through this process was that it had power over me because I was hiding it and because I wasn't talking about it. But as soon as I was talking about it and owning up to the fact that this was something that I was experiencing, um, it didn't have power over me anymore. And it wasn't something that I necessarily felt shame for. Um, so I was starting to kind of break away from the shame because it wasn't something I was hiding. Um, and people 
I would, you know, people would react really positively and like much to my surprise, people would tell me like, thank you so much for talking about this. This is something that I'm experiencing too. And that was when I finally felt that I'm actually not the only one. Um, Cause up until that point, I really thought I was the only one that this was a, a an experience unique to me, especially as a woman. Um, and I guess like a young, like a girl and I, but through that experience, I finally realized that I'm not alone and this isn't just, you know, I'm like, it's not a unique experience to me because there's something wrong with me. Um, it's just like never talked about. And I was really happy to be that conversation starter and create that space where people could, um, I guess, feel understood in a way and like validated for the experiences that they're going through. That's definitely something that um, the woman who shared at the Heinen Summit did for me. She like, I felt validated through her testimony, um, which is really important. And um, yeah, then I opened up to my parents and I think I've told the rest of the story-ish sort of, and then High Noon Summit happened. Um, and then there's more, but I don't know if you want to interrupt <laughs> me and ask some questions because I just kind of go on and on, but. No, that's, it's, there's a lot of territory that you just covered and um, that's good because I think a lot of people have very different situations and you've probably just created space for many people to relate to you and your story. Um, because you have in that, what you just talked about, you have themes of ups and downs, what it's like to feel redeemed. And then also you go right back into your own pit at some point. And then to go right back to the same emotions of fear that you had the first time of talking to your parents. And it took another seven years to have the same conversation. <laughs> yeah. And so we've we've had that conversation ourselves with many different people that we start to generate this story in our head that we're protecting our parents or our loved ones by not giving them the truth and which is some mm -hmm. crazy justification that we tell ourselves yeah. to not go through the process of admitting that we're not perfect because we think that people around us expect perfection. But anyway, there's a lot in there that you just said, and I think it was all gravy. It was all amazing stuff. Um, but I do want to get into a few more questions. Why, why do you think um, people do this? Why do you, I mean, you can speak from your own experience, but you've yeah. also helped a few other young ladies, but why do you think people go back to something that they themselves don't want to do? Like, why mm -hmm. would you, why would you do that? Uh, I guess the simplest answer is habit. Um, humans are creatures of habit. And when you like develop a habit and create connections that invoke certain or like produce certain feelings of pleasure, or excitement, as short lived as they are. Um, I remember like before each relapse I would um or I guess like my thought process was like I know I'm gonna feel like shit like I'm gonna feel so terrible after this but the thrill and everything leading up to that and the climax it's worth it kind of not really like after when it's all done then it's like oh yeah it wasn't worth it um but then I don't know you just like 
you're like looking for that, I guess that high or that endorphin or what's the, I don't know what the brain chemical is. Dopamine. Dopamine. Yes. That's what it is. Um, and that is like, I don't know, like that's enough to, uh, I guess, I don't know. It just feels like it's worth it for some reason. And, um, I think for me, that's why I kept relapsing. Um, even though I knew I would feel terrible on the other side of it, it was almost like, it's fine. It's worth it. Um, that was kind of like the attitude for me anyway. Um, but again, just like, it's a, it's a habit that you develop, um, that you, especially you have like kind of strong, uh, physical and emotional experiences attached to. Um, so that just kind of reinforces that the strength of that, um, which makes it easier to fall into over and over again. Um, it's kind of like you just keep digging a grave in a way. Um, and after a while it just gets hard to climb out of, um, as much as you want to, it's just really difficult. And, um, I think another thing is, uh, maybe not being clear on why this is something you want to quit or like why this, you, you think this is something and you have to make it personal too. It's not just like, uh, you can't just rationalize your way through it. Um, you have to find a really personal reason to, um, be a person that doesn't need to watch porn or doesn't need to masturbate to be okay. And, um, that is a process on its own. Um, but I think because at least for me, when I was trying to overcome it, I knew that I was also doing it not just for myself, but for my future marriage, um, and relationship with my future spouse. But because at the time it felt so far away, um, kind of uh, almost unattainable, and just not relevant to my life at the time, I lost any kind of urgency to quit um, or to overcome this thing. And uh, that's another thing that kind of allowed for me to easily fall back into it over and over again. Um, I wasn't really clear on my, I mean, I had a reason, but I didn't really I don't know. It wasn't like a really, uh, deep personal, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but I just didn't have like, yeah, the urgency to not, or to quit. Um, and I think also, um, when you experience life, when, uh, I guess I'm speaking kind of on the other side of things, like not as I was kind of overcoming, but, um, not to say that I've completely overcome, I'm a really, I'm at a really good place with my sexual integrity. Um, and I've gotten really good at like curbing urges and like redirecting my thoughts. And that's like a whole other conversation, I guess. But, um, I think just being, living a life that's full, um, in terms of my relationships with like my family and friends and, uh, living a life with purpose, um, all of those things are really conducive to just being at a place where you just don't need math to masturbate or, um, porn. Like I, 
I no, I, I totally hear you. Um, I mean, I've seen this very clearly in that you don't know how out of shape you are and how the food that you're eating when it's kind of junk food, you don't see how it's impacting you until you need to get into really good shape for whatever reason. Right. So when you have a reason, well oh, I have this marathon coming up, then you realize how the food that you're eating is affecting your health and how unhealthy or out of health you are. And yeah. it's the same with sexual integrity is unless you have a reason, that's why you know we get so, so many people signing up for our programs when they're engaged or thinking about getting engaged because right. all of a sudden reality becomes very real. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I totally get that. Um, and yeah, thank you for putting it that way. Yeah, no problem. I think I think it's we all that's like you said it's a journey to figuring out basically what it what kind of life do you want because you can know intuitively that what you're doing isn't great for you, but unless you have an incentive to move in a a, a different direction, especially if it's going to require effort, right. then it's not going to really it's going to you're going to constantly run into a lack of ambition unless you have a real mm-hmm. reason, a clear reason to do it. Yeah. Um, so I do have a last question here for you. And okay. um, because, you know, when we, that first summit that you came to, mm-hmm. which was our, uh, a, a, a very important event for our organization, but also just for the entire providence of humanity, in, in our opinion, one thing that we thought, would never happen was to get that live female testimony. We Mm. wanted it so badly, but we had a great deal of doubt that we'd find somebody willing to give their testimony openly Mm -hmm. um, without a bag on their head, without some sort of voice blurring (laughs) software or something. Right. But we, we had one. And the reason we wanted it so badly is because when we went to our first summit, we learned how much of a problem as, uh, uh, pornography and sexual things were for women. And that was something that most people had no awareness of. It's like, oh, this is a guy's thing. It's a guy's yeah. thing. Women are like, they're the ones that are keeping this whole thing under control. They're keeping the world moving forward. But men are the dastardly dogs. So... <laughs> With that said, what and and you're you're now very much open about your story. Um, what what do you wish people could understand about women? And this could be also older women understanding about what younger women are going through in this modern society of ours. Like, what do you wish parents could know about their kids? But in general, also, what do you wish that people can understand about? Um, women and and what it's like to go through pornography and masturbation struggles? Um, Yeah, that is still a tough question. Even we talked about this or like we messaged about this, but um, yeah, I just want to speak from my experience um, as a young woman uh, growing up in a faith community where sexual purity is really was just so important. Uh, I don't know how else to stress that, but, um, yeah, there's this definitely a stigma, um, that I felt, I think, as I said before, that I felt like I was the only girl 
the only girl, especially like in this faith community was like, I don't know about, I knew I wasn't the only girl in the world, but I didn't think like as a person of faith that this was a normal thing to go through. Um, and it's because it was just never talked about, especially to women, uh, and especially to young girls, like, um, we'd go to camps and there was like the brothers, the guys would have their guy talk, girls would have their girl talk. And it never came up. I found out when I was still in high school that the guys would get the porn talk like every single year, but not once was it ever mentioned, um, at the sisters night. And that just to me reinforced the idea that, oh, this isn't something a girl or a woman should be going through. Like this is just not normal. Um, but I guess what I want people to realize is that this is a very relevant to women as much as like people say that it's a guy thing and that sure women go through it, but it's just not very many, like it's kind of, um, uncommon, but it is really common. And I think like, so as I'm the women's program coordinator, so I, like, as Andrew was saying in, in the wonderful introduction he gave, um, I receive, I mean, I know who signs up for the program. And so like, I help them navigate that, um, and get them, I guess I welcome them to the high noon community and everything. But, um, I also know like people who I've talked to personally, who this is something or not who, but this is something that they struggle with. Um, and so I know that there are people who struggle with this, but like, um, you know, you know, it's fine and not fine, but like, it's great. Um, like some people, they just need their parents support and like, that's enough for them to cultivate, um, their sexual integrity and overcome their challenges in this area. But, um, like, I think just that stigma, uh, we can talk about it and that will be great to kind of show people and show women, especially that it's okay to reach out for help on this and to talk about this. And I think it's really like having open conversations is so important and, um, open and constructive conversations, um, in a really safe and non-judgmental space. Um, and it's just interesting to, just for me to note that, like, I'm sure that there are so many young women experiencing this, but because of that stigma, that ever present stigma, that idea that it's, it's, is a guy thing. And like, you know, by, um, accepting help. It's like, I don't know. I, I experienced this too, because I didn't sign up for high noon initially because I was experiencing success with my parents. But, um, I also was of the mindset that like, Oh, it's fine. I'll just keep it within the family. And that's okay. Like I don't need extra help, but I do, <laughs> I did. And I got, when I did reach out for help and I just accepted, like, I just need some extra help and that's perfectly fine and okay. And, um, like, I'm just so grateful for, at the time that there were resources because growing up there weren't and um, it just made a world of a difference to have a structure because I was just kind of feeling my way through it up until that point. Um, and it was all very just trial and error, but having kind of like sort of a formula um, and having that structure really helped me. And so um, I guess I just want communities and I guess society and especially women to understand that if this is something you're going through, then like it's normal and you're not alone. And I think 
many women are still afraid um, with, for good reason to talk about it um, and to be open about it. Um, because I guess it calls into question like your, I mean, I don't even know what it calls into question, but it's just like, I don't know. It, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's really scary. And, um, I don't know, I guess we want to have a certain image, um, as women. And I guess because of just the general conversation is so dismissive of this as an issue for women, then we feel automatically that like, because this is something that we struggle with, then it's, we're just like, there's something wrong. Um, but there isn't anything wrong and there's nothing wrong with you. Um, this is just a person thing. (laughs) Uh, People experience this. Women also need permission to take their own struggles um, seriously and not to dismiss them and not to judge them, but just to mm-hmm. be allowed to seek healing themselves. Because like you said, if there's a void in a conversation, then it must not be a problem, right? If you're not right. hearing about other people struggling, then I must be the only one. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's a great call to action for any ladies listening to know that Mai's here and we also have a team of women uh, various ages and backgrounds who are here to offer support and also yes. for parents to understand that everybody is sexual. Every human being is meant to be sexual in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And before that right place and right time, your body also wants has questions and your yeah. mind has questions <laughs> and your heart has questions. So conversations really, really do help. So my had a great experience with their parents, multiple, and that's a great model to, to follow after is the benefit of hearing your child and really listening to them and helping them as much as you can. So Mm -hmm. wonderful. I love the advice and, um, we are gonna, do you have any, any last words or anything that you wish to impress upon the humans of the world or do you just uh, want to say goodbye? Um, yeah, I don't have any like last, I think I said a lot <laughs> already. Um, but just thank you for having me and for high noon being a thing. And I'm just humbled and grateful to be able to say my piece on this platform and represent the ladies. And, um, yeah, I really hope we have more women on the podcast moving forward. Um, And I'm just, yeah, really grateful for if you listened to this whole thing and you got something out of me rambling and just talking about my life experience, um, especially if something really resonated with you and you felt validated or understood um, or hope, then all of this was just a hundred million times worth it for me. So thank you. Thank you, Mai. And if you would like to reach out to her, you can find her email address on highnoon.org, at highnoon.org. And I believe it's Mai, M-A-I at highnoon.org is her email address. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just to let you all know, we have a lot of really cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Some really, we're going to create online communities off of Facebook, off of these social media platforms and create our own world so that you can be empowered by people like my and uh, we're going to create our own heavenly culture it's going to be amazing 
We'll let you know more about it later. But Maya is a huge pioneer in this world. And we just want to, on behalf of the trillions of people that are listening to this or will listen to this henceforth, we all just want to say thank you for your effort, Maya. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you found that episode enjoyable. And before we go, I wanted to challenge you to take your life on, to take your life to the next level. And if you're struggling in any way with pornography, with masturbation, with issues of sexuality that just are not helping you at all, if you want to reclaim your life, reclaim your eyes and ears, your time, your energy, then take our free 15-day challenge. If you go to highnoon.org, you can find our 15-day challenge right there on the front page. Take it. It's absolutely free, no strings attached. We've designed it to help you gain some level of momentum in your journey of sexual integrity so that you can take the next step, whatever that may be. It could be to go to our deeper Ascend program, which is a 90-day program we have. It could be to reach out to that accountability partner. It could be to just take the whatever steps you need to take in your journey to build the life of heavenly sexuality that you deserve. So go to highnoon.org right now if you want to break up with porn and start to get engaged with the life of your dreams and eventually marry it. Doesn't it sound nice? So go to highnoon.org to find all of those resources and more. It's been a slice.